You have the knowledge, the experience, and the talent needed to succeed. But in the day and age we live in, skill is not enough. Your story is the most powerful tool in your arsenal. This show will help you tap into that resource and learn how to leverage your message to gain deeper influence and build a lasting legacy. Tune in each week as thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and authors share how they built empires on the backs of their story. You're listening to Stories That Sell with your host, Scott Ramage. Hey, welcome to this week's episode of Stories That Sell. Uh, I have with me today Chandler Walker. Chandler has a long history in the wellness industry, but right now he's doing awesome things with businesses. He's helping them create compassion in their voice to sell high-end services without manipulative or aggressive tactics or feeling sleazy. Welcome to the show, Chandler. Yeah, happy to be here. Hopefully we can give people some value. And when they're listening to this, they perk up and get all excited. And if they're driving, they don't fall asleep at the wheel. We were so boring. <laughs> no, no. If they're like me, they put it on 1.5. I listen to everything on 1.5. My wife gets so mad. She's like, how do you understand anything? I'm like, I understand it very well. So I'm in focus mode. You don't even know. <laughs> I'm in the zone. I'm in the zone. I think so. I've uh, just heard a little bit of what you have to offer and what you do. And even just kind of reading through your bio, like doing sales and not feeling sleazy, that's like a big deal. And that's a that's something I think no matter who you are, if you own a business or operate inside a business, inside of sales, actually, we're always selling, aren't we? Then we are. Definitely. Everything you do, it's like you open your business, you have to sell yourself to make money to actually get the thing off the ground. Then you have to sell staff to actually stick with you and not quit. Then you have to sell yourself to not quit because it's going to get hard. Then you have to sell the public to like you. It's It just never ends. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a, I first heard this, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, I was reading a book and uh, the argument was if you don't like sales, then I don't even know how you exist because everything you do is a sales from a kid. When you're a kid, you're selling yourself what you want to your parents. It's just, it's in our DNA. It's true. I remember college. I was, I wanted to study biochemistry, but I also wanted to study like three other things. So I had to sell my advisors almost every week on allowing me to move past some of the recommendations. And so it was like, every, that was a sales process. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, this is a great opportunity to just kind of rewind to wherever you want and tell your story because I kind of want to get into that. That sounds really interesting as you were doing multiple things, but rewind it to wherever you want to start and let's hear your story, man. Yeah. Sounds good. So let's rewind all the way back to childhood. Uh, when I was a kid, I grew up with a mother who suffered from bipolar disorder, and it was a long time ago. Because and and back then, you didn't really talk about mental health. You pretend like it didn't exist. You just put a smile on your face, and that was it. So, she didn't really have a good environment to find help, and she didn't really have a good environment to figure out what was going on with her. Like cognitive behavior therapy and stuff wasn't super popular back then. It was still faux pas to even talk about that kind of stuff. So she just thought something was wrong with her, and she thought the highs and lows were normal. And so, as a kid, I got to experience that firsthand, and and it really taught me a couple of really good lessons growing up in that environment. It taught me that the person who suffers from something like that is not a person filled with hate. And so you can't 
hate the person, which a lot of people end up doing for the way they're, they're sort of manifesting their, their thoughts, feelings, and emotions. And so it taught me from a really young age that if I could establish and create neutral communication with her, not judge her for where she's going at and really work with her on how she's feeling, I became really good at talking and I became really good at having compassion for other people. I became really, and I had a really close relationship with her and I, I still do to this day. And so that led me into a med school pathway. So I graduated high school, went to university, uh, studied biochemistry. Like I was talking about a second ago, I was, I wanted to study biochem, but I also liked immunology and like 14 other things. So every week I would go into my advisor's office and resell what I wanted to do now. So then I ended up graduating with a degree in like biochemistry and microbiology. And, uh, and then I started pursuing med school. And, but what happened was along the way, I started to precept and I started to really work with other doctors and internal medicine and doing my rounds and stuff like that. And I realized that every set person that came in needed a pill to fix what was going on. And when I look back with, with my mom, it wasn't necessarily medication helped eventually. And she did figure out how to solve it through cognitive behavior therapy and really understanding how to speak to herself. Uh, But then I felt like I, I wasn't in this game to give people medication for a living. And I don't think it's, and it's not a shot at doctors because the system has them hamstrung to where you have to do that. People won't follow through with anything you tell them to do health-wise. And so you're just kind of screwed across the board. And I didn't feel like that was somewhere I could ethically stay in terms of where I wanted to be. So I broke off and I, we opened up a wellness facility, sort of bed, beg, borrow, and pleaded to raise like 50 grand, open up a brick and mortar business. If anybody's have ever had a brick and mortar, it's definitely not as easy as like a, an online business. You got overhead. So we built, we raised 50 grand, uh, got that thing started and we called it stone age fuel. And, and the premise behind it was we help people in six areas of wellness, mental health, social health, sleep, nutrition, fitness, and habits. And ultimately I came up with those six areas because I felt like that's the order of operations for people to create real change. That's, that's fascinating. So it was, it was literally holistic health. It was. And it was like, okay, fix your mindset first, fix Mm -hmm. the way you feel, then fix your social status. Like if you're worried about other people, if you have destructive environments, fix that, then you need to fix your sleep because if your sleep's not on point, it's going to come right back and crush your mental health. Your nutrition is going to be off all over the place all the time. Then start looking at your nutrition and lastly, start looking at your fitness. Hey, before we get started, Imagine having a team of virtual assistants helping you out with everything from scheduling appointments, nurturing leads, processing payments, sending out marketing emails, creating content, managing your social media accounts, and so much more. VAs for Gyms is here to make sure your business runs as smoothly as possible so that you can focus on what matters most, serving your clients. We offer a wide range of services that will completely run your business and give you the one thing everyone is limited on, more time. Check out our website at www.vasforgyms.com. That's V-A-S-F-O-R gyms.com and book an appointment to find out more. Yeah. Yeah. So brick and mortar business, been there, done that. I totally get it. I've done multiple. It is a very hard journey. It is not just open the doors and say, let's go, especially coming from, you know, your, your target was in the medical field and now you're kind of going this new direction. How did that kind of roll over with the people in your life at that time? Yeah. So that's when my, my father really, I think looking back now, I recognize that that's where he played a a big role in my life because when I was growing up, when I would, him and my mother weren't together, 
but I would go see him and he would take me at six in the morning. We would get a donut and orange juice and I would go to job sites with him. He owned his own business and he, and he sold roofing and siding and windows. And so as a kid, I remember going to the customer's house and watching him like sell and watching him talk to them and watching him do his thing. Then I would go to the office and eat jerky while he would work and he would give me some like things to do. And and he taught me what the Oka data printer was and and all that fun stuff. But then I think as I moved and I was transitioning from the med school environment into a brick and mortar, this gave me a lot more confidence to say, Hey, maybe I can do this because I'd seen it before because I'd been in that environment. And when I asked my, my dad about it, he was like, God, no, don't do it. Go work for the post office, get a retirement and, and you'll be good to go. He was like, you don't want the stress of a business. And of course I didn't listen to him. So that's when he really stepped in and helped us build the place out, helped us get the place going and, and put a lot of work in there. And so when I look back, I, I think a lot of people have really good experiences with their parents or they don't. And that turns into the way that they're either confident or not in, in their, what they're doing moving forward. Yeah, that's a very interesting conversation because it really brought back a ton of memories for me. My dad always had his own business and I was kind of the same thing. I would go, I would help, I'd clean, I'd, I would watch him like rearrange and build out new new um, layouts and desks, front desks. And, and it was just part of life, right? But now thinking back of it, when I first opened my first brick and mortar business, he was there. He was doing, helping me do the same thing. And it was just, it was just natural. And, and I didn't even think about this is really hard. And I think we're, I think those experiences absolutely uh, kind of twisted our DNA in this direction. So you have this brick and mortar and, um, you, you know, in your bio, you talk about uh, moving on to online. What, what's the path that happened from brick and mortar to online? Yeah. So about six months before COVID hit, I felt like we needed to create, we already had an online presence, but we never really, we didn't put as much emphasis into it as the brick and mortar, because as you know, in a brick and mortar takes 114% of your time. And then online took about the 6% we didn't have. So we started to scale back the time in the brick and mortar and started to scale up the time in the, and what we were putting into the online environment. And luckily, I'm really glad at this point that we did because then COVID hit, everybody got shut down. We could literally operate our brick and mortar with zero revenue and the online would have supported it the entire way through. So we were able to scale that thing up. And then just before COVID hit, we were able to sell the brick and mortar and all the assets and everything and keep the brand. So we moved the brand online and our revenue went up like 1800% during that because we were literally the only ones who had sort of a mental health supportive solution to help people through like weight loss issues, uh, emotional issues and, and all of that. So we had this thing that we were already running. We had Facebook ads running at scale. We were able to build this thing out. We had a consulting environment to where we would check in on people every day, give them custom meal plans, had a 12 week sleep, sleep curriculum set up, had the mental health cr- curriculum wow. set up. And so like we were motoring and ready to go. And so it took off fast. Yeah. How crazy, right? That you had already pivoted pre-COVID. Everything gonna, was in motion. Exactly. I tell everybody, I'm going to write a book on how I predicted COVID, even though I didn't. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I probably had about three interviews on, on this podcast alone of individuals, individuals, especially in the fitness industry, who sold their business like months, days, <laughs> weeks <laughs> before COVID hit. And they're like, I have no clue how I got so lucky. Yeah. And there's also a little weight because someone else took it over and you know, you're going, Oh, I'm so like, sorry. Yeah. Oops. I didn't know it was coming. I swear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, there's no way you could have. So <laughs> exactly. So y- y- with this, with this online brand, I mean, you have, you're delivering all of these different services. Is this a large 
group of individuals helping um, with with fulfillment. It, I mean, how long did it take to really kind of pull this all and build this all out? Yeah, I like to tell everybody I've screwed things up more than most humans, so I know how to do them right now. And with fulfillment in the beginning, uh, the, the trend was like, just make an app and make it cheap. And so my mind is always, don't do that. Make it really expensive, but make it awesome. Mm-hmm. And so what we did was we set up the consulting environment. We had we hired coaches. like We took some of the coaches from the gym and just moved them into the environment because they were already trained in our method and understood how it worked and operated. Uh, and so we had to take it into an environment to where you don't get to see people, but you want to check in with and talk to people every day. So we set up, we got, we created a software solution to where we could check in with people inside of our message center every day. Like, Hey, how to go one through 10. And the goal wasn't for people to be perfect. It was to have that real conversation. And then every morning was a motivational quote and some sort of small task to accomplish for the day. Then we would have their content drip out once a day over the course of a week. And in our back end, the coach's responsibility was to look at what they're doing. Did they complete their assignments? Did they not? If they didn't call them, call back to it, make sure they do it. And so what we found was the most powerful aspect of the program was those daily daily check-ins. And I had a couple of veterans from the VA who went through who were on like tier three status, meaning like if anything goes wrong, they get appointments in immediately because they have <clears throat> serious things happening. Uh, and, and a lot of these people came through and they ended up telling us that the most impactful piece of the program was that they got to have human contact and talk about their feelings every day, which was powerful because when you look at the regular world, they have to wait eight weeks to see somebody if they can even see somebody in that time frame. And so then we started tying that into the mental health aspect. We started helping people remove the emotional attachment to food so they could lose weight without diets, pills, and restrictions. And it snowballed into this thing to where we had had end up having dozens of coaches. A coach could have like 30 clients at wow. a time. And then we would hire a new coach, hire a new coach, and a coach would be above. Then staff my op operations person, also my significant other. We haven't killed each other yet. So things are going well. (laughs) He would manage all the operations and all the staff and stuff. And then I would lead the business and guide us to where we're headed next. So it turned into a really good leadership partnership ability that we, that we both had, which I don't think a lot of people end up with in these kinds of businesses. Yeah. So you were, you were pretty much fulfilling this in your brick and mortar. And then you you say you switched to online and you, you did an app. You said that was a mistake. Was it what, how was that a mistake and, and it, how did that turn up? Yeah. So I think the mistake initially is thinking that you need to have a $49 a month subscription or something for people to buy into. And the reason that's a mistake is because we're not a VC backed company. We don't have hundreds of millions of dollars that someone's going to flood into our business so we can operate negative for 10 years. Right. When you look at these big companies that are VC backed, they don't care if they make a profit. They, they don't need to make a profit for 10 years because they're going to continuously get money if they show that their thing is growing. And that's what matters to them growth. But when you're not VC backed, when you're bootstrapped, you don't have that sort of runway. It's either it's ride or die in this, in this game. And so for us, it was like, okay, well, how do we charge $3,200 for a 12 week experience, create a 97% success rate, and then run with that and allow that to finance what we're going to do down the road. Should we want to move something cheaper? And, and that worked really well for us because when we launched, when I launched the online a lot of the clients from the brick and mortar came over and become came clients from there. And we still have clients from like 2013 on the platform. And then we, I did a couple of posts out. We had a big email list. We brought in 50 people in our initial launch of this thing, which went really well and financed the ability to acquire new clients via paid ads and all that. And so in smaller words, usually when you, if you don't have a lot of money to back you up by like VC backing, using a high-end model to help you scale allows you to go to the low-end model eventually. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good delineation. I th- we all see these businesses, and I don't know that we all put the pieces together. And I say we all globally, uh, <laughs> small business owners. We're like, well, how does Uber do this, and how does you know X, Y, and Z? How do they? How do they keep growing even though they're operating at a loss? It's it's just there's a lot of money and it's a very 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 long game. So there's a real importance of separating how they operate with how you operate. And then the other conversation I really like to have is the is the value and the price conversation. So you just said thirty two hundred dollars was it for twelve weeks? Did I get that right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. So how how did your staff how how was that transition for you and your staff as you moved to this very high dollar option or did, were you already in brick and mortar, were you already really high dollar? Yeah. So our brick and mortar was already fairly high dollar. Uh, we had a system to where it was our initial buy-in was like 12 weeks to come in and tr- work with us at, I think at the brick and mortar, we were at $2,500, which is pretty high for a brick and mortar, a holistic service or really high for a gym. And then they would transition into a long-term membership. So we already had that higher price point and our staff were already in the mindset of service versus the mindset of being as cheap as humanly possible. So transitioning over, they were already kind of ready to go. They were already primed and prepped for it. We had good SOPs established around it and we had a sales team based on my experience that we were able to build that could sell the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So talk to those, uh, maybe a business owner, entrepreneur listening to this now that have that fear wrapped around the value price proposition. Yeah, that's a good question. So when you think about the value price proposition and the reason people buy, so human beings are emotional animals. We buy based on emotions. We buy based on the perceived ability to solve the problem. So if you tell them there's a hundred percent chance you're going to solve this and it's going to be solved forever, well, they'll pay anything. And when you think about it, we have people who are like hotel desk clerks. We have like gas station attendants, people dropping $3,200 for our program because their problem was so real. And that's how you create value in your pricing strategy. You don't look at price and look at competitors to race to the bottom, especially not VC backed companies, because you're not going to be able to beat them. You'll die and wither away by the time they run out of money. So what you have to look at is What is the biggest deep-seated pain these people are struggling with? What have they tried to solve? And how can we create differentiation to solve this for good and to make them feel like we're the only option? And so when you look at our the weight loss component of what we do, it's we can help you rewire your brain code so you can stop fighting cravings to finally lose weight without diets, pills, or restriction. So that immediately gets people's attention, like, oh, I want that. Then when you get in the sales conversation, it's like, hey, because you said that you've tried 37 different diets under the sun, and because you said that at the in the beginning when you were a kid, you were forced to eat your whole plate. You uh, what's happening now is is that's a trend and that's a thing that's manifested and it's going to keep coming up because you have a trigger from being a childhood. So what we do is the brain code rewire, where we help you rewire your brain code so that way you don't have to fight those cravings anymore, and we can break that cycle and you can lose weight for good without diets and keto and pescatarian. So then the the pitch is easy, and people hear that and they're like, "Wow, I have tried a million diets. I never thought about that. I, wow, what, can you help me?" So this one thing I picked up on immediately is this brain rewire, right? This brain code rewire, however you named it. Because we all know that pretty much everything that you need to learn to is, is out there for free. But when you tell me brain code rewire, I'm thinking that's not something I can do on my own. It's it's pretty brilliant. How do you, um, how does it, <laughs> this may be really difficult for you to answer. <laughs> how did you get to that point where you had this value proposition, this, this offer that was so compelling? Because that is like, my brain goes, yes, I need that. I mean, it's, I want that. it's immediate. I do. Um, 
I mean, was that a long-term, was that a long project for you to really kind of nail that offer down? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think two of the best skill sets a business owner can have is the ability to sell and the ability to write and understand copy. Because really, when you're creating these differentiating aspects, it's it's literally copy. So what did I do? Well, I said, okay, well, we help people in these six pillars. These six pillars are long. It takes too long to explain. How do we make this less boring? Well, we're going to help you rewire your brain code, the brain code rewire with the neuronutrition method. So now it seems cool. It sounds unique and it, it's safe. And so when you look at the tenets of copy, it needs to be new, unique, and safe. And so if we can create those three tenets, people perk up and they immediately want what you have. And so one of the methods that I do when I'm trying to create those, because we have the brain code rewire on the health side, and then our sales program is called compassion conversations. And so when we're building something, I'll usually go on Amazon, I'll go on Reddit, and I'll do a lot of market research to find like best-selling authors, I'll find posts, and I'll find what people are saying and how they're saying things. And then I'll take that and I'll package it into a unique mechanism. Yeah, that's that reminds me um, just that 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 whole approach to like Amazon research. Go to, go to the top authors in that area and see what people want. Also, look into what people actually are wanting, what they're buying, what they're interested in. Read the reviews. But I love that. Um, so from a guy who sales and copy are like this unicorn, rainbow, <laughs> fluffy idea out here that are really difficult for me. I mean, I, I've, I've placed myself with a partner that handles that stuff much better than me. Um, so was this something that just came natural to you? Because we all know that that is really, really important when owning a business. Yeah. I don't know if it came natural, but I think because of the way I grew up and the way I had to learn to communicate and what I understood, it helps me be empathetic towards people I'm, I'm speaking to. And I think this moves into what I call like level five listening, which is empathetic listening. So when I listen to someone, I'm not just talking to them to talk. I'm not just responding. I'm listening to what they're saying. I'm asking them, what, what, what do you mean by that? Well, what does that mean? What's going on there? Because then it's moving into the repository in my ba- brain bank that's allowing me to pull that stuff out when I write. So for me, when you learn to write good copy, you're learning to create and carve an emotional connection with people. And you're learning to speak to their pains deeper than they can. <clears throat> so a lot of people think copies like just write a cool headline and like five bullet points and then two emojis and you got copy and you're ready to go. You'll make a million dollars. But what it really is, is it's like, it's understanding the reasons people are struggling and the reasons they won't talk about it and writing that. And if you can write that, the things that they won't say and that no one else is willing to say, you create that emotional connection and you rewire their brain code to see you as the only option because you're the only one talking about it. Genius. I've never heard somebody explain it that way. And it just makes absolute complete sense. You're really tapping into some deeper emotional connections and feelings that people are experiencing. So you really have to have a a really deep understanding of your client and what they're going through and what they want, which probably takes some experience. (laughs) Exactly. That's why I say, if you're on sales calls, you write that down and that's your copy, all the (laughs) things that people tell you. And I think one of my favorite quotes is words are the most powerful drug used by mankind. And, And they can be, they can be the way you can reframe and reshape beliefs. They can be manipulative and they can really change the way people perceive and see themselves in the world. Well, I think this is a good segue into your, your statement or, or the, the bio I read from you is that, you know, do some, do sales without feeling manipulated, manipulative or aggressive or sleazy. How do how do people avoid that? Because, you know, I've been through a lot of sales training and no matter how much I go through, there's still this idea of like, 
yes, what I have is probably worth 10 times what I'm asking them to pay. I absolutely believe that. And it does make it a million times easier, but there's always this old story in your head that selling is sleazy. So do you work with people on that? And how does that, I mean, obviously you do. And how does that materialize to get away from that? Yeah, for sure. That's a good question. And so in our compassion conversation, sales and copy Academy, we teach people how to write in the way I was talking about, and then how to sell without being manipulative, aggressive, or sleazy. And uh, it's a little backstory, but behind how I developed this, I did three or 4,000 sales calls in the gym, in our wellness business and inside of our, or not inside, but on our online platform. And during that, I, I realized that a lot of the old school objection handling techniques and a lot of things that people were doing didn't align with me. I didn't feel good about telling people, all right, so we're done. Meet Visa MasterCard, assuming the close. And it just didn't, it felt scammy because I was like, oh, they don't, I don't know if they even want it. And then try, thinking about like, oh, the close doesn't start until the objections start. Then you got 90 minutes of objection handling. I was like, oh, this is a farce. I can't do this. Like I got into this game to help people. I didn't get in this game to manipulate people. And so what I did, what I did was I took what our program looked like on the wellness side. I took the components of cognitive behavior therapy. I took the components of acceptance, commitment therapy. I took the com components of motivational interviewing, and I combined all of those to create a sales system and a sales program that didn't focus on manipulation, but focused on therapeutic conversation, not necessarily coaching, but therapeutic conversation, helping people understand what we call how to become a cognitive question or a cognitive listener. And so what does that mean? Well, it means that we need to dig deep into more than just the pain. So in most sales, it's like, just dig the pain. If they cry, they buy. For me, if they cry, it's too far. They're going to be shaky. They're going to have buyer's remorse. They're going to get refund requests. So for me, it's, yes, we need to understand the pain, but then we need to understand how to connect the dots. And what that means is what happened in their past that could lead them to where they are today? What patterns of behavior have they been continuously putting into play that are creating a roadblock to success? And then we can do our my next pillar of becoming a challenging leader and call to that. So like, hey, look, maybe it's not the fact that, that you've tried a million diets. Maybe it's not the fact that the weight loss is impossible for you. Maybe it's the fact that you were forced to overeat as a kid and that overeating has caused a cascading impact that is creating the problem you have today. And so because you said that, what we can do is, and so what we do is we actually listen to them. We connect the dots. We challenge them when appropriate in a caring and compassionate way. And then when we go to pitch them, we only pitch them what they need based on specifically what they said. That's, uh, that's really cool. I was just telling my wife uh, today, I was like, I really need my business partner to get back into sales because I'm covering for him. He just had a baby. And she's like, well, why? You're good. You close a lot. I'm like, but I don't listen enough. I mean, I know this and I know I don't. It, it, it's just such an important skill. It really is. <laughs> yet, yet we go into this pattern of just how we always have had conversations. We listen and then we have something to say and then we listen. So you probably have to teach really reverse the pattern of people's uh, operation when they're doing a sales call. Yeah. So our first step is detaching from the need to sell. So we go through an exercise on Good. removing yourself. Like, why do you need this clothes? Well, I don't need this clothes. Okay. Well, take the pressure off yourself. Take the pressure off the one call clothes. If it takes two calls, that's fine. If it takes five calls, that's fine. If they don't close, that's fine too. But remove that pressure of the need to perform because that pressure is going to drive you crazy. You're going to want to quit. Then you're going to hate sales. And it's a horrible sort of impact that creates a massive problem long-term. 
and, and so then when we move into the next step of becoming a cognitive questioner or listener, we have to teach people how to become empathetic listeners. So how to not just listen, but how to respond to facilitate more information. And so if someone says, well, I, uh, you know, I, I've tried like eight different diets and, and they don't really work. Well, it's, well, so that's, that's interesting. What have you all tried? Oh, well, I've tried this and that. Okay. Well, when you tried that, how did it go? What did you do? Oh, well, I did this. All right. And how long has this been going on? Okay. What is it? Okay. Well, 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 hold on. What do you mean by that? So I'm not saying anything important. I'm asking them questions to uncover the core philosophy behind what's happening. And so when you look at cognitive behavior therapy, one of the techniques is like downward arrow technique. Someone comes in and says, I hate my life. Well, why do you hate your life? Well, because of this. Well, well, well why, why does that matter? Well, because of that. You ask them why multiple times over like seven to 10 times until you get to a point to where you establish core belief. And the core belief is ultimately the real problem at hand, the real issue that's happening. And once you establish that, that's when you can find the history. That's when you can connect the dots. And that's when you turn someone into a buyer. They need it. They want it. They have to have it now. So when you get to the end of the call, the way I do it is I'm like, so that's all I got to say today. What do you want to do now? And they say, well, Ken, do you think I could buy this thing? I don't know. Do you want to? <laughs> Ask <laughs> well, this guy. Yeah. This guy. And so that you challenge him right there. So I'm challenging. It doesn't really sound like I'm being a jerk, but it's like, yeah, of course you could, you could buy it. I mean, do you really want to though? Like, is, is this something you think you need? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, 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 why, why do you think you need it though? And so then you force them to continuously sell themselves on why they need it. So at the end of the call, it's not about objections. You've already pre-handled everything you need to handle. And if you feel like you can help them, that's when you can move to enrollment. Mm. Yeah, that's really good. And I, I thinking back on my life as certain people have come into my life, one of them being my business partner, and he's phenomenal asking questions. And he's literally gotten me to absolute new heights just by asking questions, getting to those core beliefs. So I would imagine as the person on the other end of that call, you're feeling already like you've gotten a massive amount of value just by unearthing some of these things. Yeah, exactly. And you think about it this way, you have people who go to therapy for 20 years and don't figure anything out. And if, and I'm not saying we're doing therapy here, but what I'm, what we do is if you can help people uncover these patterns of behavior, they can move to be able to fix those patterns of behavior. The first thing to fix problems is to become aware of the problem. The second thing is to become aware of the triggers. Once you become aware of the triggers, you can move to the present when it happens and walk yourself through it. Uh, internal self-talk, I think, is one of the most powerful things and internal awareness of helping someone create change. So regardless of whether or not you enrolled them in your program, they're now aware and they can pursue therapy. They can pursue whatever it is they want to do to fix and solve it. But you did the first step in helping creating the change in this person's life. So you can enter these conversations and say, hey, I'm entering into an empathetic listening environment. I'm creating compassion through my voice and I'm helping this person facilitate and create change regardless of whether or not they enroll in my program. That's amazing. So we're, we've been talking about what they do once they get to you. You've mentioned multiple times in this conversation about paid ads and marketing. Um, has this been a big, has this played a big role in getting people to the table to go through this process? Yeah. As much as I don't want to call myself a marketer, I've had to learn to be a marketer in this process because it's part of growing a, a business. And so the way we've been able to grow our, uh, is what we kind of call it's sort of a circular method. And so it's like you get prospects in through paid ads, paid ads 
in my opinion, are all about copy. If you can write really good copy, you speak directly to your demographic, they're going to opt in and you're going to get the exact people that you want. If you write terrible copy and you expect Facebook's advertising, like targeting parameters to work, it's not going to work that well. You're going to get garbage, especially in like weight loss. So number one, it's your copy. If you're going to run paid ads effectively, number two, post iOS 14, what we've figured out is it's about using sort of Facebook's power five. So giving them the keys to the car. It used to be about like playing with it and messing with it. Now it's like, let them do most of the work, write really good copy, use dynamic creative, and you'll funnel leads into a solid system. And so the way we do that is we run ads, usually either in a messenger or now to a landing page that redirects right to a Facebook group. And so we can fill a Facebook group fairly quickly and we can get people in there. Then we can start a content calendar and schedule. Uh, every Wednesday we go live inside there and do a live training, get people pumped and amped. And then the Facebook group becomes a client acquisition machine. So it's like everything leads into everything. Then when you get clients on, you facilitate referrals. So our goal with our staff is to generate three referrals for every one client. So say what costs us a dollar to acquire that client which would be amazing. That's not how much it costs to acquire a client. But for every dollar we put in, we get three or $4 out because, and that three or four turns into 30 or 40 because we're facilitating in, in referrals. And so we pay our coaches incentives to get those referrals if they drive them in. So you actually create an environment to where the acquisition doesn't end when you get the client. It never ends because then you go, client, you go prospect to hot buyer to paid at paid, and then you go into referral and then you go into prospect and it just creates this like flow. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. And I've never really heard it. Um, I don't think I've ever heard of paid ads. I've heard of people using paid ads to funnel them into their group, but I think that's probably been the most laid out I've ever heard it. The most systematic. I really like that approach. Um, do you, do you ever get that you know, feeling because how do you avoid sleaziness when you're working somebody through the steps? Yeah. So I, I think it starts off with like your copy. Are you writing directly to your offer? If you're writing and just slamming offers at people, you're going to be a little bit sleazy and salesy because it's literally just an offer. So when we write, we write based on emotional context. So if someone wants to lose weight, it's like headline tired of the ups and downs of weight loss, uh, sick of it or whatever. And then it moves into diet suck. We all know it. Nobody wants to go on a new one. Nobody wants to sit in the corner and wear a dunce at eating boiled and chicken and broccoli at the, at the barbecue. And then we kind of play into the, the pains and the deep seated emotions. Because what I found is if you speak directly to emotions and problems, people won't talk about, they see you as someone worth following. They see you as a leader and someone who gets them and it removes the sales resistance. It removes the sleaziness and it creates this realism. Your brand is now a person. Your brand is now someone who gets them. Your brand is now someone who they can trust and depend on and has something that's new, unique, and seems safe. Yeah, that's really good. Okay. Uh, let's transition a little bit and talk a little bit about Chandler. I mean, you've talked a lot about yourself, but really let's talk about some things that you personally do to kind of keep yourself sharp and, in, and operating at the high level that you operate. So first of all, what's one routine every day or that you do very regularly that you think everybody should do or one practice or habit? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that, that I do is I set myself up the night before with what my routine looks like the next day, which allows me to organize my schedule and not overbook. I put every day into sort of 
a blocks, kind of like the Pomodo technique, but I'll go, okay, I have 16 blocks today. That's five hours worth of work plus a lunch. That's six hours. And now my day is mapped out and I won't do anything beyond that. Uh, and then the next thing I think that everybody needs to do, especially in this business owner world is, and this is so cliche, but it's take care of your health. Mm-hmm. Don't skip food set. Like my blocks have lunch in there. I have, I do jujitsu three or four times a week. I do Muay Thai kickboxing because I know that if I can pull myself out of this environment, go into an environment where I don't have to think to where I focus on my health, to where I'm doing that, it makes me sharper the next day. My writing is more crisp. I'm able to speak better. And then the last thing for me, that's one of the most important things is spending time with my, my daughter every day. So she's three, she's awesome. She's like this little best friend I didn't know I needed. And so when she wakes up, it's like, I'll take breaks, I'll go hang out with her. And so I want to be able to put the time in on that environment too, because that makes me sharper, crisper, happier, and cleaner in what I do. Yeah. I, I, that's something that I really encourage business owners is you've got to, you've got to get outside of this environment. You've got to go engage in physical activity and family and friends and, and loved ones, or because really that's where the, that creative flow starts to happen. We get our own blood moving and it's crazy in the fitness world. It's the first thing that goes for a lot of people is their exactly. own, fitness, which is, which sucks. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's, it's crazy. not a good pattern to be in. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so what is, what's your favorite thing to learn? What's your favorite way to learn? Is it books, podcasts, audiobooks, all the above, conferences. Yeah, I think that my favorite way to learn is probably listening. I listen to audiobooks almost every day. I try to get to a couple through a couple a book a week or, or so. And I learn by I'll usually listen to it the first time on like 1.5 times speed. Then I'll listen to it another time and I'll sort of take notes. Sometimes it, it will take me like six months to get through a book. So I won't get it in, in a week sometimes, but because I'm really focused on it, I'm paying attention to it, I'm pulling things out of it. It really helps me learn a lot. So audio and I can watch something and almost, and I can, I'm ready to do it right away if I watch it. Hmm. So those are probably the two best ways for, for me to learn and really engage. What's a book that you think every business owner should read? I think one of my favorites is The Road Less Stupid by Keith Cunningham. It, w- it was a really good book. It introduced me to thinking time. So just sit there, stare at the wall or think that's your job right now. And it allows me to get deeper in thought, make better decisions, make more tactical tactical decisions and, and think more long-term. Plus it's a really good collection of like lessons from, from Keith, which is, who's a really good author. He's an entrepreneur, he's an investor. And, and so I thought and found it to be really impactful for me. Yeah, that's uh, compelling. I need to look that one. <laughs> Who was the author on that one again? Keith J. Cunningham. Okay. The audiobook's great. He's got his Texas drawl and everything in it. He really puts his personality into it. That makes a huge difference with audiobooks. I love audiobooks, but I really do like it when the author reads it. Way better because there's so much, they just have their energy into it and their love and everything about the book. Yeah. Yeah. Do you read outside of learning material as well or listen? Not, not really. Uh, I think. Well, I guess I do. There's learning material, but I'm also, I I think I'm obsessed with communication. And so I read almost everything I can about communication, empathetic listening, understanding the stuff. And at the beginning, it was about business. Now it's more of like an obsession in life. And so I'll read, there was a book I read recently called Win Bigly. It was about how it was about the Trump campaign and not being political or anything, but it was about how they won and how they overpowered the other campaign and how they communicated at such a different level that people weren't expecting. They crushed everything. And so just learning that kind of stuff and learning what that, how that operates, how it works at the highest level and how it works at scale, I think has become an obsession, like I said, for me. Yeah. Well, I, to kind of uh, 
go back to the, it's, I'm not making a political thing. <laughs> it's so important to learn from all these things that happen in our history and the, the, the things that happen that create success, whether you like it or not, it's something you should learn from. In my opinion, I mean, you exactly. Should, you should learn on how Hitler got, how he ended up killing 11 million people. I mean, you should understand what happened. doesn't mean you agree with it, but I believe you need to understand that if it's not only to use it for good or to avoid it from happening again, there's, there's lessons in all of that. I think that's so true. And I think a lot of the time we're afraid to talk about these things, but like, if someone's on a on like a political rant, I, I don't get upset. I check my ego and I ask them, "What? What do you? Well, hold on, that's really interesting. What do you? What do you mean by that? Why do you feel that way?" And you learn all kinds of cool things about the person, how they grew up, the environment they lived in, which created the way they perceive the world today. And it shows you that there's no right or wrong. There's no yes or no. There's just one thought versus another, one model of the world versus another, and ultimately allows you to check your ego and recognize that, like, who cares if I'm right? Who cares if my opinion matters? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. More of that needs to happen. I think we could go into the, how social media has really destroyed real conversation, but we, I think exactly. we all know that it's kind of rhetoric at this point. So, um, all right. So before I ask you the last question, I'd love for you to kind of just give us, uh, how to find Chandler and how do we learn more about all this stuff? This amazing things that you've talked about today. Yeah. If you want to learn more about our compassion conversations program, you can go to nine step.cultureofcare.life. If you want to learn more about how we produce this, the circular flow to where we go prospect to raving fan, to buyer, to lead, and then keep going, that's with Scaling with Media, and you can go to scalethewin.com for that. If you just want to connect with me personally, I'm a, I'm a cool guy, and I like to chat, so you can connect with me on Facebook. Just find Chandler Walker. You'll know it's me because it's me and my daughter in every picture. That's awesome. Literally every picture for like the past three years of her life. You can connect with me on Instagram, instagram.com underscore Chandler SAF. And that, or Chandler underscore SAF. And then my free Facebook group is called the Beyond Method. That's that's amazing. Okay, Chandler, last question, which is kind of hard to ask because you cannot do this, but if you could go back in time and give yourself a piece of advice, what would that be? Yeah, I'd probably go back and I'd say stick to one path. Mm. You're gonna you're you'll be fine, you're gonna make it, everything's gonna be okay. But don't doubt yourself. Don't do a million different things. You can do this one thing and it's going to work out. The more consistent you are with that, the better you're going to be. That's uh, so, so true. I have so many entrepreneurial friends that chase like 15 different rabbits. I'm like, just stop. Exactly. Stop <laughs> <Yeah>. right now. <laughs> that's, that's really good advice. That's really, really good. Thank you so much for being a guest on Stories to Sell, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Hopefully everybody got some value out of this episode and nobody fell asleep at the wheel. <laughs> to be quite honest with you, I, I personally got a ton of value, so we're good. <laughs> I like it. That's all that matters. <laughs> no, I, I, I absolutely believe that if people really listen to this, they will go away with a ton of value. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. Happy to do it. Creating value in the world, making it a better place. That's right. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for paying attention and listening to this episode of Stories Itself. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Stories That Sell podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, be sure to leave a rating and review and subscribe to hear interviews with incredible guests each and every week.